0: right at the fork is proud to present this episode of the joy of drinking podcast hi everyone welcome to the january 2021 episode of the joy of drinking podcast my name is joy church and i'm your host Happy New Year, everybody. Wow, it has been quite a whirlwind of a year so far. (laughs) I know we all had big hopes for 2021 and we still do, but you know, personally, I would be fine with skipping it and launching right into 2022. (laughs) So thanks for being with us listeners today. I'm so fortunate to be with Ricky Gomez. He's the owner of Palomar. If you haven't been to his beautiful bar, You know, it's not open open right now, but you can still get drinks and you can still get a great experience with Ricky's um, food and beverage. So, Ricky, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Joy, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, having me on and talking about cocktails to go and all other restaurant dealings at the moment.
0: Yes. So I want to launch right into the cocktails to go piece. I know we have other things we want to talk about too, but I think this is such an important piece. It took forever to get it uh, into legislation. So congratulations on that. But the practicalities of having cocktails to go, I think we can see that some bars are hesitant to make that a reality. There's still some confusion out there and several that are offering cocktails to go or offering them as curbside pickup versus trying to get into the delivery app game. And so Ricky, I noticed that you're really, you know, you just took the full plunge and are doing all of those things. So I wanted to to ask you, you know, how's it going and what are your strategies and tips for making it work?
1: Right. Absolutely. So um, as you said, first, it took a long time to get here. You know, that was one of the hardest things was navigating what we needed to do to get this accomplished and made legal in Oregon, um, the first hurdle was understanding how to get it done. Now, other states were able to execute it through an ex- executive order through the governor, or just simple rule changes by the the liquor body. You know, for us, the Oregon Liquor Commission (OLCC). Other states have their own you know, liquor commission boards where they can just change an enforcement policy, you know, pretty quickly without the use of state legislature. Uh, In Oregon, specifically, there is a law that states that all alcohol, distilled alcohol, uh, for an on-premise license must be consumed on that premise, and that's a state law. And the OLCC did not have power to change law and the governor does not have the authority during a state of emergency to just repeal a law or or change a law as well. So we had to do it through state legislature by getting uh, our state senators and our state legislators representatives to basically draft a legislative concept and create a new bill to allow this. And um, lucky we have Rob Nose from Southeast here, it's the district that Palomar is in. He was our sponsor for the bill uh, in the legislature. And we we're able to finally get that through uh, on a special session in December. Now, that was kind of a long time. There were a few special sessions before, but as everybody knows, as an Oregonian, we've been dealing with multiple crises. You know, not only is it the pandemic, but we've had wildfires, we've had social justice issues that all needed to be Handled appropriately, and you know, getting drinks to go isn't necessarily a thing that's going to take priority over these things that are very important to Oregonians and are a lot larger crises at hand. Um, but the service industry is one industry that has been, I believe, uh, last uh, when it comes to getting relief and getting understanding. When you look at the sheer numbers the Oregon hospitality provides to the state, we're, I mean, we're 10%. Of employment in the state of Oregon currently we're 45 percent of unemployment claims in the state of Oregon so the hospitality industry is the first to shut down and the last to get back to work but yet you know we're the ones that are always providing meals for, for meal delivery services um, charities you know the amount of gift cards that every restaurant gets asked to donate every year uh, towards the communities and we are we're that we're we a part of communities and we're independent you know, in Oregon restaurants, the majority are independent restaurants. You know, they're not going to be your chains, your Applebee's, your McDonald's and things like that. And, you know, McDonald's and Taco Bell, they're all staying open. There's all lines down the street. Uh, you know, not only is it unhealthy, but it's, you know, obviously it's not. A lot of those dollars that go into those restaurants don't stay within the community. You know, a lot of dollars that are spent on local restaurants, 70% of those dollars stay in the local community whether it's obviously the wages that are paid to workers that are spent in those communities or through the supply chain of all the farmers, the meat packaging, the butchers, you know, plumbers, electricians, every little aspect of our businesses as independents stay local and that's one thing that's so important to make sure that we're helping out independent and local restaurants. So. Uh, not to get back to all topic there, but bringing back to Cocktails to Go and why I felt we needed it was um, every little bit helps. You know, uh, Obviously, my concept is a very cocktail-centric concept, so it probably helped my business a little bit further than others. Just to, you know, and I'm, a, and I'm an open book. I'm not going to throw numbers out there because I'm not afraid to share any of it. Uh, I only do about 35% bluetails at my... Our restaurant uh, the rest of it the other 65 is alcohol and of that alcohol the majority is cocktail specifically our signature cocktail so when I specifically don't have the ability to sell my signature you know go to a, an Italian restaurant that you can't sell pasta at you know it's very difficult for us to to operate so that's us specifically but when you look at other concepts that i've worked at or that i've run even chef driven concepts, you know previously i worked at a chef driven concept you know a james beard award-winning chef where uh the driving force was their food um, we had a cocktail program wine program very expensive you know those sales break down 50 50 when it comes to food and alcohol so you know most restaurants make their money off of alcohol sales, and that's just the nature of our of our industry, the cost of the goods are lower, uh, the perishability is lower, uh, so you're not having things go bad. Uh, and when it comes to executing these dishes or a glass of wine or pouring a beer, the time to execute those things is much smaller. The labor to serve those things is a lot lower. So you know, making food is the most expensive aspect of managing and maintaining a profitable restaurant. So when you take away wine sales, beer sales, food sales, or I'm sorry, wine sales, beer sales, and liquor sales, it really takes away the profit of an entire restaurant. So when we're doing just food to go, it really is just breaking even. And that's been, I think, the goal of most people during this time is to just break even. And if you're breaking even, you're doing better than most that are hemorrhaging Uh, at the moment. Now, the PPP was one thing that definitely was one of the first steps that helped us, and that was just a band-aid, though. And we know the PPP is not perfect. It took uh, a change of rules. You know, when the PPP was first issued, you know, we got ours on May 1st, and I didn't touch it because I knew the rules that were first laid out just did not work for bars and restaurants. Um, So we didn't touch it for a month until the rules were changed. And once those rules were changed, it gave us a little bit of a buffer to try and make something work. And so during that time, that fell right in the middle of summer. You know, summers in Oregon are great. And throughout this time, you know, we were still working on cocktails to go, you know, behind the scenes. It's like, okay, we're allowed to do outdoor dining. You know we were lucky enough that we had access to a rooftop deck which is very successful for us during the summer and other people in the city of portland and other cities you know doing sidewalk permits uh streamlining that process uh or you know in portland it's the pbot uh and other cities that have their own transportation uh you know city ordinance that everybody really was trying to do their best with what they were given but seeing the statistics and One motto that I've used throughout this pandemic is hope for the best and plan for the worst. You know, you need to be prepared for the worst to happen. But while, you know, I'm going to stay optimistic because staying pessimistic for now 10 months, uh, you know, is a little emotionally exhausting. So staying positive is something that has kept uh, me going through this and a lot of other operators. But you do have to plan for the worst and one of those Plan for the worst is exactly what we're in right now cases went up in the winter it's something that if uh, you know dr. Fauci and a lot of other health experts warned about throughout summer that winter when people go back indoors cases would probably spike and that's exactly what happened and then when you don't have access to outdoor dining in any northern climate what do you do and so uh, we tried, we did food to go at Palomar for three weeks, and I had a total of sales of under $1,000 in three weeks.
0: Wow, yeah, it's like that's not gonna be enough.
1: <laughs> no, so that's not gonna be enough, uh, specifically you know, for our concepts, and then for the other bars and restaurants that are known for their signature cocktails, you know, just breaking even is tough. You know, I mean, our margins are already small. You know, uh, Good operators are trying to probably get 12 percent return in the state of Oregon or in the Northwest. Um, with cost of goods being high, you know we are in a control state, so you know I don't buy my liquor wholesale as in most other states. You know a lot of other states buy their liquor wholesale at about 15 to 20 percent discount, where in the state of Oregon we only get five percent discount from retail pricing. So. You know, when it comes to the amount of revenue that's generated off liquor sales, and the good that that revenue does um, based upon the hospitality industry, none of, that, none of those funds go back towards the hospitality industry, which generates a lot of that revenue. So uh, Cocktails to Go, when we saw the weather changing and the cases starting to go up, we were able to really ramp up again and say, hey, this is, this is needed. You know, we've been working on this for six months so far, and, you know, there have been other things that are pressing issues for the state again, wildfires, social justice issues. And then uh, when we knew the shutdowns were, were coming and that they happened, uh, you know, in the middle of November, which again is, is for the public safety and for the safety of all of our employees and staff, uh, we knew we needed to push even harder this final bit because we knew we had a limited amount of time before the election, the end of the year. Uh, special session hadn't been called yet. We needed one to be called so that we can introduce this legislative concept. Basically time was coming short because once uh, the election happened and we didn't see what happened on on that side, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to have a session until the, the following year, you know, now this year, and we would lose another two months of possible revenue when we did not have a second stimulus passed at the time um, you know, second round of PPP, which just went live on Tuesday. Um, we didn't have any of these things. So it was time for Oregon to help Oregonians. And that's what our big point was like, hey, we can no longer wait on federal assistance with other rounds of PPP because we don't know what's happening. You know, we don't know what was happening in the Georgia Senate race at the time and things like that. So we needed to help ourselves. And the big question that a lot of people continue to ask is, well, what Difference is going to make? Why are we going to put any political capital or personal capital into a change that may not move the needle that much? And my argument on the opposite side is you asking that question shows how much need we have. The fact that you understand we need a lot of help and you think that even making these changes isn't going to help enough shows how much help we need. So why not do this? Because anything was going to help. And that's and that's really the need. And that's really what it has done. It's given us just something. And um, it's helped us dramatically. You know, I did more sales on my first day of service than I did in the three weeks prior of doing just food service. Amazing. And that is doing everything appropriately as well. That's, you know, throughout this process, this you know, we talked with other legislators, you know, the Oregon Recovers community was very much against this at the very beginning. And we changed other things in the legislative concept to to let everyone know we're not just opening the floodgates and just saying, hey, let's just flood the streets with cocktails and and be irresponsible about this. Because um, being in Oregon, you know, and having the OLCC, to be honest, as a partner, you know, I look at the OLCC as a partner when it comes to uh, enforcement and creating policy that's good for the public and good for our businesses. As well, And they've been, uh, you know, a very big help in this. Uh, we've talked with their commissioners and they've, you know, they've wanted this to happen, but their hands have been, have been tied. So the food requirement is one of the things that was added to make sure that, you know, we're not just selling cocktails alone. You know, as an Oregon liquor holder, we are required to serve food during all hours of operation. So having a food requirement is something that is business as usual, so to speak. You know, we serve food on a normal basis anyway. You know, there are some operators out there that I know that uh, food is even less than 35% than what we do at Palomar. So bringing on somebody to to cook food uh, is a little bit tougher. For sure, you know, if if you're able to do cocktails to go without a food requirement, that's obviously less staff that it would take to execute that. But, you know, we uh, felt to get this approved and to make, you know, both sides happy with what was being approved, we felt the food requirement would be in there. So it's uh, one substantial food item per two cocktails. And they wanted the word substantial in there to make sure, you know, all their states have done, you know, a bag of chips.
0: Right. For, your, <laughs> right. for
1: your for your food items. So um, it's been, you know, a long road, but it did get past and it is making a difference. You know, it has allowed myself and my chef to be here five days a week and we can at least cover some minimal costs, you know, because our fixed costs, and here's, here's the big thing that, you know, just because we're closed doesn't mean our fixed cost has gone down. Right. You know, and that's, and a lot of other people don't realize the cost of having our restaurants. you know, one big cost that a lot of people don't realize is just our liability insurance. You know, our liability insurance, every business kind of needs to have it, but when you serve alcohol at your establishment, liability insurance is, is rather expensive. And that number is based upon how much you estimate you're going to do in sales. So, for instance, last year, 2019, I paid a premium on what I thought I was going to do in 2019. And most people kind of lowball it because at the end of the year you get audited and if you sell more, you pay more at the end of the year. But even lowballing it, I did not expect to be closed seven months out of the year. And I still paid a premium off of an amount of money that I thought I was going to be open 12 months. Did I get any of that insurance money back? Mm-hmm. No, right. I did not. And now this year our insurance costs have already gone up in Oregon and in Portland specifically. You know, my premium has not gone down and I lowered my estimated sales by 50% and my premium didn't go down. So that means my premium increased
0: 45%. Oh, ouch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, you know, to,
1: we have to have it. Yeah, we you have, have to have, to have, have it. Have yeah. You can't everyone. operate
0: without it. Right. Right. And I think it is such a good point that you make because I think, you know, consumers forget, you know, you're still paying rent. You're still paying your mortgages, right? Those things don't change and they don't go down. So, and as we've seen with insurance, you know, insurance companies, you know, we can call it a cash grab or whatever we want to say, but those premiums have gone up and they say it's because of COVID, right? So, so we're only seeing massive increases. It's not going to go down. So whether or not you're selling cocktails to go, you are paying to have your bar open quote unquote. So doing the cocktails to go is, you know, at least some kind of lifeline. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because Ricky, I'm so impressed by what you've tried, you know, the pivoting, the pivoting, the pivoting, and then that you embraced the cocktails to go so quickly and included the delivery piece. And so I've noticed that several, um, bars and restaurants are doing cocktails to go, but curbside only versus delivery. And so, you know, my devil's advocate hat says, well, if I have to put on shoes and go out anyway, and I'm going to drive by three liquor stores to get to the bar to get my cocktail to go, right. That the incentive isn't there so much. So for those places that are offering it through through delivery apps, understanding that they take money, but that appeals to me, right. Because, Hey, I'm going to get it delivered to my door. That seems like I, I get that concept. So, you know, From that other part of it for these places that are not trying the cocktails to go via delivery, you know, I wonder, you know, what your thoughts are about that and what you're seeing through your cocktails to go via delivery. Is it working?
1: Yeah. So the majority of our orders are pickup, you know, which is what we appreciate. You know, Palomar specifically, we are not, we're not on a third party platform, we're doing everything through our own internal Square site, but you can request delivery, you know, we use Square, then Square has a partnership with DoorDash where if you request a delivery, they will dispatch a driver through DoorDash. So that's how we're using third party delivery in that aspect. Um, Other people not using it might be for their own reasons. So one of the things about the law that was written that's in the small print that a lot of people don't realize is that... um, A third-party delivery is now an extension, we're now using a third-party carrier. But if that third-party carrier does not do the proper identification and gives those cocktails to somebody who's underage, I, as the establishment, am liable for that delivery to somebody underage. So there is liability and there is a risk of using a third-party delivery, being that that third-party delivery person is not an employer of yours and is based, you know, a contract third party delivery aspect. So you're not in, you're now not in control of that bag of cocktails, which has alcohol being served to somebody over 21. Now, you know, we speak with every driver who picks up an order, you know, you know, I am personally that I am that person. So when the driver comes up, I remind them, Hey, by the way, this is the bag of hot food here's the bag of cold things. There are cocktails in this, and these need to be served to somebody who's over 21. So when you bring it to the person, you know, you need to ask for their ID and make sure they're born before today in the year 2000, which is weird to say that somebody (laughs) born today before today in 2000 is 21 years old. Right. (laughs) Sit on that for a second.
0: Yeah, whoo, all right. (laughs) Not feeling any younger over here, Ricky.
1: (laughs) Yeah, neither am I. So that, there, there's a risk with it if you are using a third-party delivery. If you don't want to take on that risk, um, you know, we're able to, you know, when you receive an order and you're able to see that person's name, you are there is a phone number, you are able to call them. And if you want, you can even look them up on social media to make sure they look like somebody who's over 21. So there are some things in there. And, of course, just making sure that driver is aware that, there's alcohol, and that they need to be—they uh, need to ID the end person. So that's the legal aspect that some people may not be aware of. Um, and then using third-party delivery apps. You know, again, we are not using them directly. We're using it indirectly through Square as a partnership. You know, the cocktails to go did pass with parameters, which you know, the city of Portland put a 10% cap on delivery fees, uh, the state has now a 10% cap. Uh, And all of this order, the cocktails to go and the 10% cap passed together as one legislative concept and they expire 60 days after the end of the state of emergency as declared by the governor. So currently it ends at the end of March, you know, that's where it is currently. So at the end of May is when these orders would expire as they are written currently. So, 10% is a lot lower than what traditional third-party delivery fees can cost. You know, in the past I've seen numbers of 30 plus, you know, where it's 32%, 33%, and uh, that can be negotiated down if you're a high-volume account, um, but even high-volume accounts, I don't believe it negotiated down to 10%. So 10% is a number that everybody feels comfortable with, but 10% is still 10%. So, you know, if I sell a thousand dollars, that's a hundred bucks just gone. Right. 100. Yeah. So if I sell fifty thousand at the end of the month, you know, five thousand dollars gone, and five thousand dollars at the end of the month that all of a sudden gone out of my account, that's seventy five percent of my rent right there. That's just gone. So ten percent does sound like a small amount when you look at it compared to thirty. Ten percent is this big number when the cost of goods is low. Your labor, you know, our labor continues to go up. And traditionally, if you're running a profitable restaurant, you probably only at twelve
0: percent. Right. So, yeah.
1: Right. If you yeah. That number. There's your profit. Yeah. Right
0: there. Well, I really appreciate
1: that. percentage of your profit.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that breakdown. That makes gives me a more thorough understanding. And I'm sure listeners have had the same question. So I I really appreciate that perspective. And this is the craziest thing, but we're running out of time already. Um, uh, this is how it happens. I'm sorry, I kind of went crazy. No, I so no. this is exactly uh, what we want to hear, you know, from, from all the great work that you've been doing and, um, you know, putting on that political hat, that advocacy hat for months and months and months while trying to sustain yourself, your family, your business. It's enormous. So I would love to continue the conversation with you. Maybe we can get together again in February or March, right? and keep talking this through sure. um we know that our listeners that you know people are sort of taxed with zoom and podcasts and things so we're trying to keep them really short right. and condensed of so so yeah. uh, thank you so yeah. much for being on the podcast today and so everybody please you know check out Palomar Get a drink, get a couple drinks, get some great food. Um, Ricky does amazing things um, and the color palette, you know, you can look inside and see the beautiful restaurant that he has. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to take a second yep. listeners all, all and. Oh yeah, I'm get, I get to see the beautiful space and the family photos. <laughs> Um, Ricky and I are recording through my phone, but we can see each other via zoom. So listeners, thank you so much. And please do send feedback, send questions, and we'll keep this conversation going with Ricky down the road here. And of course I want to thank right at the fork, Chris and court for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you, Ricky, for everything that you've done to support our communities, restaurants and bars in Portland and in Oregon. It's huge. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And thank you so much, Joy, for having me on. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a long road to this point, but without the support of you and our other guests and customers, spend local, go pick up, don't use third-party delivery. Uh, and we didn't do this alone. You know, Rob knows our state representative, the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon, uh, and all the organizers there and, and, and all the other bartenders who've used social media as a great tool to promote the, the needs of independent restaurants here in Oregon. Uh, it's been a great help and a, and a great unity uh, to see within such, you know, something with the name independent in it. We've had a lot of unity this past year. And, and, and again, thank you to all the listeners out there. Spend local again. Don't use third party. Get in the car, get out there, save the 10% for these bars and restaurants.
0: Thank you so much, Ricky. I really appreciate it. And listeners, thank you. And we will uh, talk to you again next month. Thank you. The Joy of Drinking podcast is produced by Joy Church, executive produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson in association with Right at the Fork.